We are CEOs, executives, educators, and professionals from all sectors of society who support the global expansion of betterment in the world through joy and joyly. I'm your host, Cheryl Lynn, founder of the Chair of Joy Experience. Together, we have developed the World Council of Joy, and our council invites CEOs and innovators from impactful organizations to the Joyly podcast. We showcase how generous, bold, and fully engaged they are in their work and what a culture of joy is to them. Good day, everyone. I am Cheryl Lynn, and we are live streaming here in the Joyly Studios. And today I have an amazing guest with me, Patrick McClenney. If you haven't heard of him, you are in for a treat today. He has been on the road all over the world, teaching and educating and running companies. And so you have a new book. It's called Designing a World-Class Architecture Firm, The People, Stories, and Strategies Behind HOK. You were with HOK for 50 almost 50 years plus one month, you met your wonderful, beautiful wife there, and you created this structure around what CEOs need to do as far as culture. That's what I want to talk about today. I am super excited about joy. There's a difference between happy and joy. I, I just want to clarify this at the beginning for all of our leaders listening. Happy is fleeting. We get happy when we buy a new car. The car breaks and then we're not happy anymore. We want to be joyful. We want to be like you, Patrick. So tell me, who were you as a young man? Who taught you to be this amazing human being that you are? Well, that's a, that's a, first of all, thank you very much, Cheryl, for having me here. I'm delighted to, to have this opportunity to talk about my passion. Gosh, I had a long journey to become an architect, uh, but it started out with my love of my grandfather. He was a carpenter. I used to watch him draw. He, he built houses for people and he drew the house plans no computers then, on his kitchen table on a homemade drafting board. And mm. I was fascinated by that. I wanted, I begged him to let me draw a house plan. And so finally he taught me how to draw house plans using this old homemade drafting board in T-square with a store-bought triangle. I decided right then, I must have been four or five years old, I want to be a carpenter when I grow up because they get to draw house plans. I didn't know what an architect did or what, what the name meant. And only later I discovered, oh, there are people that are creative and they get to design things for other people. And uh, so my, li my life was set in front of me from that early age. And uh, you, you have no regrets about that? Absolutely none. Um, and uh, some people, and of course I, I grew up, I went to high school and went to college. Some people went to college to have a good time. Some people went to college to learn something so they could make a lot of money. I went to college because I loved architecture and I wanted to express, I wanted to learn how to be a professional architect. I came out of college brimming with ideas, thinking that I would, I wanted to transform the world. I fell in love with this idea that architects, um, create the stage on which the world acts. That's, that's not a quote from me. I think I'm quoting Winston Churchill or somebody, but uh, the idea of having that role in a, in a city or a community was quite appealing to me. And so uh, I joined this medium-sized firm in St. Louis, Missouri, and I had no idea, I was lucky 
there were three extraordinary men who founded this firm and they had a big idea about what a firm could be. And most architects then and today were practicing as partners in a partnership or sole proprietorship. And the average size architecture firm then, 50 plus years ago now, was eight people, yeah. almost practiced as a craft. And um, today the average size architectural firm is about eight people. During my tenure at HOK, which was exactly 50 years, I started as a junior designer and went all through the ranks of the firm and ended up as the CEO and chairman uh, after uh, almost 40 years and uh, helped to turn the company around. The company had gotten in trouble, but the firm grew from one office in the Midwest to uh, over 27 locations around the world. So this idea, Cheryl, that you could actually make people's lives better with good design, uh, I got to live out. Along the way, I, I have a saying that HOK provided everything I needed in my life, including I met my wife there. I understand. I, that's a beautiful story. That's We've now been married 46 years. We're grandparents. Uh, we're living in a house that she designed with my help, which was the right way for it to work. And uh, uh, we're still as much in love as we were the first day uh, that we met. Um, so I, I think I'm the luckiest man uh, alive. And I didn't start out to make a lot of money. I started out to express myself through design. Mm -hmm. What I learned is something important, which is if you do what you love to do, if you, get, if you get somebody to help you organize how you do it, you can actually have a good life and make a good living and support yourself and your employees and your colleagues. Well-fed people that have a regular paycheck do a better job, better creative job than people who are stressed and wondering where their next paycheck is coming from. So the idea of giving people a, a grounding, a place where they could work and not worry about the next paycheck but instead think about design, think about the client and about the climate and, and, and doing great buildings or great city plans. That's, that was the, what I finally found was my spot was helping other people do this work. That's beautiful. And like I said, I have a two hour interview that I posted ahead of this one. So we have a lot of history. So what I would love to do is get to like fast forward to today yeah. and let's talk about the leaders that you're trying to inspire the yeah. young troops around the world that have so many tools and skills in their tool belt, right? But unless they bring the culture of joy or the cool culture that you call it at your organization, how is it that they can get to an increased bottom line? So talk to me a little bit about the joy in your workplace, the the the, the fact that you went out and you bombarded your, your small offices and said, tell me, talk to me, what is it you wanna know? Your transparency. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about the culture of joy in your workplace. Yes, well, uh, with the firm when I began was filled with joy. It, was, it had what I call a buzz. People were happy. Uh, I had worked as an architect in the drafting studio, again, before computers, uh, a couple of summers while I was in college, but the, the drafting room was like a tomb. It was quiet. Architects should not be withdrawn like that. Anybody doing anything creative needs to have interaction with other human beings. So when I came to interview at HOK, the office was uh, filled with sounds. 
people talking, laughing, talking about their projects. You can't have that kind of culture unless the leaders instill that and, and, and encourage that. So I, I learned about that from the earliest time at HOK. And I learned later after we had many offices because we were successful, I could walk into an office and find out just by listening, is this office well run? If the office was well run, people were alive. People were, were talking, laughing, challenging each other. They were part of a team. If the office was not well run, it was quiet. People had their heads down. Maybe I'm going to get laid off today. If I keep my head down, maybe they won't notice me. Someone else will get laid off. It was a terrible thing. So I began as a new CEO. We had some lots of business problems to overcome. But I began a, an Ask Me Anything series. Uh, I, I went to each of our offices. We had, I think, uh, more, more than a dozen when I began as a CEO. Ask Me Anything sessions. And my favorite thing was to go to an office, gather all the staff, not just the leaders, everybody, including the people that made the coffee and, and uh, ran the prints at the print shop, and said, okay, I'm going to talk for five minutes. I'm going to tell you what's going on in the firm. And then I love questions. I want your questions. If, a, if, the, if the office was well run, everybody had their hand up. I want to know about this. How we, and there was nothing off the table. Everything was fair game except an HR issue. I said, I'll talk to you about the firm's finances, about the big job we just lost or the big job we just won, uh, everything except if you ask me about so-and-so, I, I won't talk about individuals unless it's good. If, if, I, if I wanna praise somebody, I do that publicly. If I, if I wanna correct somebody's behavior, well, I do that behind closed doors. So these ask me anything sessions became popular and the offices, people in the offices began to look forward to it. And as they learned that I would answer any question, how much money did we make? What's the profitability of our office versus the other one? Uh, what's, what's our backlog, which is the, the work that we have won but not yet uh, produced, and so on. And uh, people were just on fire, finally, uh, from simply getting someone that would listen to what they said and give them straight answers. And people are anything but stupid. If you sugarcoat or uh, make something uh, up about something people know. And so um, it, it challenged me to be honest, but also positive minded. And I, I, the positive minded part is we're in this together. We're going to succeed together. Yes, if we have a problem, let's put it out on the, on the table and look at it together, solve it together. And uh, people began to get that idea. I'll just tell you one little story that's close to my heart. Um, I visited our office in Toronto, Canada, and that office was not well run at that time. Right now it's, it's a vibrant office, but then it was struggling. And the people were quite quiet. I, I had my little 20 minute pre-speech and then I said, okay, I'll, questions. Nobody raised their hand. I said, gee, I've never had this happen. Please, any questions? And I finally, the Canadian dollar is called a, a loony because there's a, it's a coin it has a loon on the front that's a water bird. And I said, okay, I've got a loony in my hand. So I had to bribe them. 
and said, the first person to ask a question is going to get this loony. And a young woman in the back row someplace raised her hand a little, finally asked me, uh, I'm going to say the milk toast of all questions. Who's the best design firm out there? It's okay. I, I answered her question and walked back in the audience and gave her her loony. And a young man in the front row put his hand up and he said, if I ask a, a question, will I get a loony too? I said, well, no, you had your chance, but I've, I've run out of loonies and everybody laughed and the ice was broken. And then it was like an avalanche. Those people in that office were hungry for information, for straight talk, for a positive message about where the firm was, where the firm was going. Positive message about confronting any problem projects uh, together and solving them. So um, communication, straight communication, uh, trusting people with information and not saying, well, you know, you're too junior to understand this. I mean, literally, even I had the people that make the coffee in the offices asking questions. Uh, that's the way it should be. And in a way, a really good leader, you know, you've seen these organizational diagrams with a bunch of boxes and the leader is at the top and then there are more boxes and it makes a pyramid. That's actually backwards or upside down. A real leader, in my opinion, is a servant leader, helping everybody else to succeed. So the servant leader is the foundation at the bottom. My, my job was to help other people be successful more than anything else to help other people be successful, not figuring out some way to lead people into battle. Uh, there are things that a CEO gets to do that are pretty interesting and pretty fun, but the most thrilling part of it to me was helping other pe people succeed. I, I really appreciate that. And everyone, if you haven't gotten his uh, Patrick's book, please do. And he talks about the pyramid and the how to build from the ground up and really start fresh or even start over if you have to. Would you yeah. say, Patrick, that that see, I'm sure you are networking with CEOs all across yeah. the world. Yeah. Are Where are they in these terms? Are they building the foundation or are they still doing it the other way? Well, it's a, it's an ongoing struggle, I think. The message is out there, it's pretty clear. But what I'm learning is that it's, you know, you've got design talent, you've got computers, you've got good people. Uh, people still have to learn things that they don't teach you in college about how to deal with other human beings, how to lead. And a lot of people confuse uh, leading and managing. Oh, I'm gonna get to be the boss. That means I get the corner office and I get to sit behind a big desk just tell other people what to do and they'll go out and do it. Real leaders are out of their office and they're engaged with their people. If there's a problem office, a problem project, a problem client, anything, that's where the leader belongs. Taking over, but sitting with the, the team that's dealing with a problem and saying, okay, let's understand this problem. Let's see what we can make of it. And letting the people have their own ideas and, uh, come up with their ideas about, okay, here's how we're going to solve this schedule problem or this design problem or this we're over the budget problem. Every one of those problems can be solved with people working together. Uh, even when it's the darkest, most dire, there's usually a way forward. I, I've, never, I've never been in a, in, in a situation where it's so dark that we all fall into the abyss and that's the end. There's always a bright 
future and there's always something we can do but it's a condition of your mind i think that um i told you before we went on the air when people ask me how are you doing how are you it's a common greeting i always say i am excellent and i mean it and i've said this for so many years that i it's in fact truly become part of who i am we can have a difficult project or a difficult client or a, or a, a problem uh, a problem employee whatever it is i can still be excellent because that's the way i want to be when i deal with the world and uh there's a positive message that someone who's excellent if you say it enough times the first time or two it'll be gee i don't know if i feel excellent or not but pretty soon you'll be amazed at how that becomes automatic and the little i'm going to call them irritations in life got stuck in traffic my plane is late uh, i can't get my computer up to, to to connect to my zoom meeting whatever it is those things fall by the wayside and you can be a perfectly um, joyous person, excellent person inside, able to deal with everything that comes at your way. And you're in the best possible position to help other people. The other thing I, I just want to say is the job of any leader, CEO, a president, a leader of your own small firm, anything, uh, whether it's a creative business or not, your number one job is people, people. What else? Most businesses now, most service businesses, even if you're in a business manufacturing something, it's still people. And if you don't have your people with you, like a big team, like a big family, you're, you're selling yourself short. You're selling your company short. So to me, um, the perfect, the perfect company, the perfect firm, it doesn't have to be a company, it could be a partnership or anything, is one where it's, there's so little, it's like a big family, a big team on the inside, and you're able to therefore compete better outside, do something better than you've ever possibly done before. If you can take that internal friction out uh, by getting people really aligned and, and so that people are willing in your firm to help each other succeed. Many firms I've seen, people are climbing over each other to get to the top. That's a, it's like a lobster pot. If you, if you turn the water, put the lobsters in the pot live and you turn the heat up, pretty soon the lobsters at the bottom are climbing over the other ones to try to get to the cooler water at the top. That is a heck of a way to have a business. And especially if you want people to be creative, which was, what I spent my life in. You can't do it with that kind of environment. It doesn't work that well. Uh, you need to have the firm be this really safe, wonderful place where people can back each other up every day, help each other succeed, and real creativity happens. All beautiful words to uh, just completely ingrained. So what I'm I'm in the business of teaching what you're talking about right now. So joy is not the necessarily the KPI of all KPIs. It's the it's the bottom line. It's the productivity. It's everything else except installing what it is that you're talking about. So if you don't mind, Patrick, I'd love to just share a little bit about what we do. Uh, yeah. now do it to give you the practice. And I want you to, you're probably going to say some things you've never said before in an interview. 
And that's my goal. I'm going to try to keep this really creative. I want to turn all your juices. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's what I believe. I'm completely with you when you say that you want, uh, there's no way that creativity and really increase can happen when there's friction in the firm. Like everyone has to be family. So this is one of the tools that we use. So if I could ask you to just take a deep breath, and this is what we do. See this chair behind me? I have a chair of joy that I bring to boardrooms around the country. And I ask them, I ask CEOs and uh, everyone from every level to sit in it. And the transformation is pretty cool. So what I ask them to do, and I'm asking you is just take a deep breath. Yeah. And I want you to tap into one of your most joyful moments ever. Have you ever dropped your phone on the floor, on your face, or in some other embarrassing place? Don't you wish there was something you could attach to your phone case that would help you hold your phone so you don't have to, or at least as much? Introducing Steady Straps, a comfortable, adjustable, strong, elastic strap with 100% Velcro brand closures that helps you hold your phone more securely without dropping it and use it easier and faster, especially one-handed. It's the only smartphone grip accessory without adhesives, and it's 100% wireless charging ready without having to remove or adjust it first. Check us out at SteadyStraps.com and order some today. Something that you haven't already said on an interview, but let's just go to some place in time when everything was just cranking for you. <clears throat> well, gosh, actually, probably one of the most wonderful things that ever, ever, ever uh, occurred in my life was when I met my wife. She was actually hired, she's an architect, a very good architect. I had gotten very busy and my boss at the time, this is 47 years ago, so a long time ago. My boss at the time hired this woman architect to help me with my work, but he didn't tell me that there was somebody coming. And I, so I didn't know about it. And the, the day that she reported for work, which happened to be her birthday, was I was gone that day and that week on a vacation with my parents and my, my brothers and their families. So I came back a week later and walked into the office and there was this new person at a desk near mine. And I knew, I just knew she was the woman I was going to marry. I just knew. Uh, it's, I don't ask me to explain. It just, I knew. And it was all I could do to keep from, I didn't know what her name was, what she was doing in the office, anything. It was all I could do to keep from running up, giving her a big hug and saying, will you marry me? So I did, I did not do that. That was probably the most wonderful moment in my memory. This is like a, a God's gift to me, uh, this beautiful woman. And uh, of course, her reaction <laughs> when she saw me was a little different. I'm glad I waited to give her a hug. She wondered because she hadn't seen me in the office. She didn't know who I was. She thought maybe I was a salesman selling architectural products that had come calling in the office. So we got acquainted and um, with almost one year to the day after we met, we never had a date. I, I will tell people this and they still don't believe it. We worked together side by side on projects. Six months after we after she started, the bosses found out that she was far too valuable to be my assistant. So they gave her her own projects, but we continued to talk. We never had a date, decided to get married, never kissed, never held hands, 
just decided to get married. And uh, the next day we made an announcement in the office and it was again, like the family, everybody in the office knew this was going to happen. And uh, we were a little surprised that everybody else saw us drawing closer together. It was the most wonderful thing. Yes. And uh, we did get married, uh, obviously we did, uh, 40, almost 46 years ago. Lovely. And uh, we're parents and grandparents, so we've got a great family. Mm -hmm. We love each other as much now. And uh, I helped her with her architectural work. She helped me with mine. We've been each other's signing boards and supporters, best fans. So we're not only in love, but we're best friends. And uh, uh, she's the joy of my life. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. I think that what I love about that, and I think I've heard you saying this in an interview before, but the culture that you created was not just at home, was not just at work, but that it was 100% completely intertwined, which is again, what we're teaching. So thank you for sharing that memory. That was beautiful. I'm gonna ask you to do it one more time and let's go somewhere else, some other amazing point in your life. So deep breath in, another place, another time, maybe not work related. You could have been a young boy, something else that just was like, oh my God, this was just so much joy. Uh, I, I'm, this was back, way back when I was a little boy and my grandfather was, uh, who was the carpenter. He not only taught me to draw, but he taught me how to use carpenter tools. It was a very simple little thing. I wanted to build a little desk bedroom at home so I could, and um, so I went, went and I called him Pop. I said, Pop, do you think I could do this? And he said, well, yes, I do think you could do it. So Pop um, took me into his shop, which was next door to his house. And uh, he wouldn't let me use any of the power tools, only the hand tools. And he taught me how to use the saw properly, how to measure twice and cut once, many good lessons. And he kind of helped me with it, but I, I was the one that got to do the work. I wanted a saw and I wanted to, but Pop was right there with me. But that steady, caring, um, letting me do it, but being there to help me, give me advice, uh, but not to do it for me was a, I think I learned a lot about life from my grandfather at that just that little project to make that little desk. I used, I love that desk and use it for many, many years. That's beautiful. All right, perfect. So we're gonna take my experience, my joy, chair of joy experience a little further because you are so ingrained in this culture of joy. Um, if you could tell your, your wife and the moment you saw her, that was your first memory and your pop giving you the directions to, you know, measure twice, caught once, that, that whole moment. What would you say the one defining word is that connect those two memories? It definitely is joy. That's a that's a beautiful way of thinking about it. I mean, my gosh. Good. I did, one other one popped into my head. I was present with my wife when our son was born. Yes. And this was the days before you knew the, the, the sex of the child and so on. And uh, when he came, when he was born, I was there with the doctor and um and so on helping my wife with timer you know breathing and all that and uh, when he was born both of us burst into tears my wife and i both and they were really tears of joy he was this perfect little baby boy yes and uh he's now a big strapping 42 year old with a family of his own 
but, it. Uh, it was just perfect. Perfectly joyful. All right, yeah. we're going to go a little farther just because I want to tap into this creative brain of yours. If you had to put this essence, this one word, this joy into some kind of container, what yeah. kind of container, describe wow. the container, what would you put oh. joy in? <laughs> well, I do know that I dream a lot. I still dream big dreams about things and, and it's always the world getting better. So to me, it's a, it's, mm. if you put it in a container, it's going to have to be a very big container and it's going to, it's going to be luminous. I like I think of remaking cities to be these beautiful places for people. That's a great big dream. Um, and, uh, a lot of hard work, but, oh my gosh, what, what, what a chance. So yes, big and luminous, um, probably multicolors, um, and, uh, very much alive, not, not something an architect would do that's solid. That's, that's my thought about it. Thank you for that. So what I heard just then was that you have, you still have a big dream. You still have this of having massive, beautiful cities. You also have a vision of helping young entrepreneurs, young creatives, young yeah. people who are providing service to rise to the occasion so that your legacy can be fulfilled in them. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Uh, hold hold yeah. up. Wait, wait, I want to, I we're going to let you answer that, but I want to add to that last thing. We're going to take this big, beautiful city that you're going to create and we're going to put it on the top of the airplane. Most people put their container in a cup or, you know, <laughs> bottle, but you've got this city, so we can't take it in the airplane. We're going to take it on top of the airplane and we're going to fly into LaGuardia. We're getting off. There's 3000 CEOs there. I want you to say to all these young servicemen that are standing there, all these people that are just starting architectural businesses, what do they need to understand about your container of joy, of this CEO? What is your legacy? What is your words of wisdom for them? Yes, it's precisely this, this opportunity. If I could speak to 3,000 or 300,000, a big number of people about this. I think the first thing is what an awesome opportunity you have to do great design work. And I'm not, it's in a, in a, you're, you're very particular how you define joy. I'm particular about what design is and it's, it's the beauty is not just skin deep. It's, it's design that's all the way through. That's really helping people live and play and work and go to school and get healed and so on. And so you have this great opportunity. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Second thing I'd say is if you don't dream big enough, you'll, you'll regret it later. I was lucky. I had this dream for myself. HOK took me on a journey that was bigger than my dream. And uh, so I would say to young people, think, dream big about this. The world needs this. The world needs what you have. So think big about it. And then the last one is always the same, which is, you're not going to get there alone. You're going to get there because you know how to treat people and work with people and help people uh, meld into a team to help you do this, live out this dream. So if you, if you dream big and you, you have people helping you, you can actually achieve your dreams. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had a firm or a business or a profession or a practice where people could join you knowing that reach for their dreams and it was actually real, that you could actually achieve this dream uh, by being in this environment with these other people. That's the kind of, that's the ideal uh, 
And that's what, what this world really needs from us. So if I could help people understand that and reach for those dreams, oh my gosh, I'd be very, very happy. I'm already excellent, but I would be in, in ecstasy. <laughs> I think that you have a way of saying that that is very eloquent because you've lived it, right? You you yeah. not only didn't get to see your dream come true to a, beyond your imagination, but I imagine that you're helping or you've helped, still helping based on the, the company still thriving, yeah. thousands of people realize yes. their hopes and dreams. That's got to be the best feeling under the sun. Yes, it, it's... I feel quite fulfilled and people say, well, you know, you worked for 50 years. Don't you miss it? I say, well, the responsibilities I don't miss, but I do miss the people and I still reach out and now we've had the coronavirus, but I still, I'm in good touch with many, many people in the firm that are still practicing and many people outside the firm, people all over the world. So we have friends um, in, in every continent, I think, except Antarctica. And we're working on that one. Beautiful. Here's one more question that's going to spread more joy around the world based on the my based on who you are as a leader. If you could take a box of those books um, and give them to a group of people or one person that could pass it along, who would you give it to? Mm. Is there someone that comes to mind that you would just pass along this incredible amount of mm. leadership style that you have and skill? I hadn't thought about that. Um, well, I'd actually like to go beyond architects and creative people, anybody that's charged with leading, um, including maybe the ones that need it the most, the politicians. <laughs> uh, can you actually accomplish more instead of fighting if you collaborate and you work together? I think there'd be a great lesson in there for people that are in politics. And, you know, I, I, I will tell you that I have stopped watching television news some years ago. Why? Because it's filled with negativity. Uh, if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. And I, I wish that people wouldn't think about politics or any, any public service as fighting for this or fighting for that. Instead, working for this and working collaboratively for that. So I think there's a real lesson for maybe people in public. I had never thought about this, Cheryl, but uh, yes, maybe from President Biden on down, I'd love to give a copy of my book to uh, the president and, and everybody in Congress. Wouldn't that be something? Wow. If you need an address, I have uh, <laughs> a bunch of people that you can send it to. Okay, thank you. If you're interested, box it up and send it off. Why not? What do we, what do we have to lose? There you go. There's great learning in that for everyone. So what I my, my intention today was to have speak to a group of people that maybe you haven't spoke to yet and say them to some things you haven't said yet before in any other interview. So my question for you today is, what is your biggest takeaway? Do you think we accomplished that? And then lastly, what else would you like to say to our CEO listening audience today? Well, again, Cheryl, I, I just thank you. I've had great fun here. And uh, you've made me think in new different ways that I haven't thought about for a very long time, actually. Are there any other messages? I'm not selling books here. I'm promoting ideas that I think are helpful to people. Uh, I do not need to live on income from book sales. That's not the point at all. Um, if people, however, ac accepted and adopted some of the thinking, some of the ideas that are in the book, 
that's intended to be helpful to everybody, that would be that would always put a smile on my face if they did that. So that would be my plea to people that are listening today. There's a lot of people on Apple and iTunes and all the places this is going to be posted that can see us. So would you put, yeah. mind holding the book up real quick? Yeah, sure. So everyone can see the book. And so when they go to Amazon and all the Barnes and Nobles everywhere, that it is beautiful. Yeah. Designing world-class architecture from the people's stories and strategies behind. Again, Cheryl, thank you. My goodness. What a great time. It was my pleasure. I know when I read about you, I said, this man, this cool culture that you, they talk about on HOK website, I just, the, the spaces that people get to show up to and work in a collaborative space. I mean, who wouldn't be in a creative mode and zone and therefore increase the bottom line in all other KPIs? Yeah, indeed. So, indeed. Yeah. Congratulations on all of your success and uh, just hang on with us a little bit. And I just want to say thank you again to Patrick McLeany for being with us, for writing a book, for being consistent and persuasive with his team and the world about how to get on board with a corporate, corporate culture of joy. I'm calling it that, even though you've called it um, collaboration. It's got a lot of names, but I think that ultimately we want to be uh, humans and we want to be transparent and when we want to show up and be uh, truthful and have integrity. So I appreciate you for being here today. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.